Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. The following panel is brought to you by the Sundance TV headquarters at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival. Enjoy. I'm Jan Diedrichsen. I'm the GM of Sundance TV and Sundance Now. And we have such an amazing panel today. It is really exciting. This is the Hollywood Reporter Indie Filmmakers panel. And we have an incredible lineup. Um, I'm going to introduce first our moderator. He is the editorial director of The Hollywood Reporter, and he will introduce our panelists. Please welcome Matt Bellamy. Thank you. Okay, welcome everyone. My name is Matt Bellany. I'm the editorial director of The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, we've got an amazing crowd here today, and I think what we're going to do is we're going to call everybody out, and then I will introduce them one by one as they sit down. Um, and you can hear me, correct? Yes. Okay, great. Um, directly to my left is Deborah Granick. No, it's not. No, sorry, it's Tamara Jenkins. Oh my God. Oh, you're off to a horrible start. <laughs> yes. I know. There are three women. The problem is I wrote them down incorrectly. So, um, Tamara Jenkins, uh, who is here at the festival with a film called Private Life, uh, starring Ben Foster. You may know her as. <laughs> Paul Giamatti. Oh, Paul Giamatti. Catherine oh my Hall. God, this is, they totally wrote this down wrong. That's okay. All right. Just... But you will know her from The Savages. Okay. Yes, that is correct. All right, and directly to her left is Armando Iannucci. No, no, no. <laughs> Deborah Granick. <laughs> uh, yes, they're all Deborah Granick. All right, no, Armando Iannucci, um, besides being my personal hero as the creator of Veep, the HBO series. Um, he is here at the festival with a film called The Death of Stalin. Oh, yeah. And he's also the nice. filmmaker behind In the Loop, another great satire. So welcome Thank to Armando. <laughs> and directly to his left is Mark Turtletoe. <laughs> and he is a producer and a filmmaker and a director. Um, he is here at the festival with a film called Puzzle. And he has produced and directed a, a number of films. Um, he's the producer of Little Miss Sunshine, uh, of um, Safety Not Guaranteed, a bunch of other films. And we'll talk a little bit about his, his career as well, uh, directing and producing. All right, and then uh, directly, directly to his left is actually Deborah Granick. Yes. Yay! I'll cop to it. <laughs> yes, she is here with a film called Leave No Trace. Which does have Ben Foster in it. <laughs> uh, and you may know her as the filmmaker of Winter's Bone. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite films of the past decade. Uh, all right, and then directly to her left is Lynn Ramsey. Yay. 
And Lynn Ramsey is here with a film called You Were Never Really Here. Yeah. And she is the filmmaker behind um, We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is was a, a big film. And Ratcatcher. And uh, Ratcatcher. And Ratcatcher as well. Yes. Right. All right, and the so shorts. <laughs> we're gonna start with a, a number of questions, some for the group, some for the individual filmmakers. At the end, we'll have some time for questions from the audience, so if you have a, a question you've always wanted to ask, think of it now, and we'll do that at the end. Um, I wanted to throw something out there that I think a lot of people who are aspiring filmmakers want to know, because if you have a certain modicum of success in the indie world, you get several projects that you may or may not want to tackle, and I want to know that what the, the process is for determining when you say yes, and what project is your next film? So if anyone has, a, has their insight into you know, how you get, you get a stack of scripts, you get people approaching you, you get actors saying, I'd love to work together, what is the process for you to say, this speaks to me, I have to do this? Anyone? Tamara, you can, Tamara can start. I, I'm yeah. not that kind of director. I write my own material, so. I don't have a stack of scripts, and people aren't coming up to me and asking me what I want to um, Although I'd be interested if somebody had something interesting to show me. But um, predominantly, I, um, I generate my own. I mean, I, not even predominantly. I solely generate my own work at an incredibly slow pace. So uh, this is my third film here. And I mean, as a, my third feature, I've had a bunch of shorts here. So um, I'm, in a, I'm not normal. How about you? See, well, then, see, I would have said the same because I do my own stuff and you know write write my own scripts and so on. Except the death of Stalin arrived. You know, it was a it was a French graphic novel, and the the producers of it, French producers, um, sent me it and said, "We want to make this as a movie. We think you should make it." And and I was a bit sceptical, and I read it and I thought, yeah, 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 yeah. this is really good. What about it made you say yes? Um, well, because I was thinking about doing something about dictator anyway, a bit like a fictional contemporary dictator. Um, and then... <laughs> uh, what would make you think of that? Um, well, well we, shot, we, we shot this two, you know, two summers ago, so it was pre-the event, as we call it. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, um, but there was this story, true story, about a dictator who terrorised a country, who dies, and then the power struggle, but also the whole question of do you keep the terror going or do you liberate and, and, and that. And it was funny, and a lot of the funniness was based on true events. And it just instantly appealed. And honestly, within within five minutes of finishing it, I I was thinking that's the next film. Yeah. And it was so. There's no rule, I, I think. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Is that is that your process as well? <laughs> yeah, I think a bit of both. Um, write my own stuff. Some of it's based on this adaptation, but it's totally in my own way. It's not really true. I guess totally to the novels that have been quite different. Mm -hmm. But I write, so I don't have a big stack of scripts or anything either, you know, and I'm slow, very slow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Like, um, but would you do a Justice League movie if it came? I think, I think if I felt like you, you when you when you read something and you know, you know, you yeah. kind of know, I think you, it's a gut in, instinct. Yeah, when you finish your movie, it's really weird because I'm at that strange floaty stage where you're like, what the hell am I going to do next? <laughs> right. And lots of people are sending loads of stuff that seems good, but I really need to sit and meditate on it, you know what I mean? Because, like, there's all, you know, I need to read it first, you know? Like, there's so much uh, stuff in it, and they, they sound good or interesting, but I think you just need to 
I wrote in Santorini in Greece on an, a small island before. Yeah. And you just, there's no cars. There's one cafe open in the winter, so there's nothing else to do, you know. But right, and I think that I like having that space to just find the, the right thing, you know. Anyway. Yeah, I'm curious, Mark, as you produce and direct, right. what about a project says, I'm not going to produce this, I'm going to direct it? It's not much different for me. And that is, I look for a voice which is original. And so when we produced uh, Little Miss Sunshine, I was reading, I think we talked about that, I was reading about 150 scripts a year. I had just come into the film business, and it was two years of reading 150 scripts a year. And then I read the screenplay by a first-time screenwriter. And a lot of the movies we produced have been by first-time writers or directors, as it turns out. Uh, with a few exceptions, uh, of course, Loving was not. Uh, but uh, it's an original voice, and it's something that touches my heart and speaks to me. And we only make movies that we try to make movies that have they're about something and have some meaning. Well, it and those are time. so rare to find an original voice yeah. Yeah. and about something is you know it's you know that's why you read 150 scripts and then you say no that one. And it's that practical thing of like when you get sent a script. You, there is part of you that's saying, okay, I'm going to be spending two years. <laughs> right. So why that? Right. Why that? And then if you can go, I want to spend two years. And I, it's an instinctive thing. Like that. Rare. It's rare, right? Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I have a question uh, specifically for, for Deborah. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the casting process, but you famously found Jennifer Lawrence mm. and put her in Winter's Bone. I'm curious, what about her stood out to you when you were casting that? And, and did you ever think that she would become what she has? Oh, you know, um, <laughs> it's a loaded question for me because I'm, I'm very, I'm someone who really tries to apply discipline to myself to uh, constantly interrogate what celebrity culture is. And as a marginal filmmaker, I have to be very kind of, I have to establish a relationship with that, you know, and because um, it can also crush me, right? It, because uh, then it can, it can dictate that someone of high worth has to be in my films for me to ever make a film. Mm -hmm. So it can be a really, um, you know, I it can be a kind of kind of a gnarly cycle. So, but in terms of um, hardworking actors, Vera Farmiga or Jennifer, in this case, the young one I just worked with, you know, that's that's what I'm always seeking, right? Because they're scrappy films, and someone has to really want to mm -hmm. do it. Yeah. They have to be hungry. They have to really want to immerse themselves. There's usually some real physical on-site training, you know, learning some real skills, mm -hmm. be it skinning a squirrel or lighting a fire, surviving in the woods at night during a rain, you know, right. cold rain. And so these are things that um, you can't hire someone who's already um, had a really elaborate, jaded existence. To, to do those roles. So I have to stand outside that and, and, and really um, always look for people that maybe um, you know, haven't had a lot of exposure in order to make the kind of small work I want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So it'd be tough to cast Jennifer Lawrence today in that role. I mean, obviously she's older, but uh, someone who has that kind of, you know, experience and such. Well, I could never afford to. I mean, I, there's, no, there's, no, you know, there's no production that I could ever be affiliated with that could support that. You know? so it, it's, it's not possible. So, yeah. uh, and it, it wouldn't suit the films I make. So it wouldn't, it, you know. But 
but it's, it's it's an interesting phenomenon. It's very it's you know it's huge. It's a big you know I think about it as this you know huge machine that mm. cranks up and then gets real ferocious you know and a lot of things you know shoot out of it. But a lot of times it reminds me of the meat grinder from you know the 1970s imagery. You know it's just like a person upside down in the meat grinder going through the system. Yeah. So I have a real you know intense ambivalence to the idea of. Uh, oh, you know, can you create one of those again? Can you just right. find someone and do that thing? You know, right. I was like, oh God, I don't know what 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 that you know, what, what's that yielding <laughs> for all of us? I don't know. It's interesting yeah. when people rise. The first time I went to LA, I, I wanted to meet up with a friend of mine who I used to write stuff with in the UK called Peter Bainham, and he uh, he wrote Borat, and Borat came big, and he decided to set on LA, and I said to my agent. My agent said, what are you up to today? And I said, oh, I'm meeting up with Peter Bainham. And he went, do you want to meet with Peter Bainham? We can, we can, we can get our people to speak to him. We can set something up. And I'm saying, no, he's a friend. Well, what are you going to discuss? You're discussing a friend. I'm meeting for a pizza. He's a friend. <laughs> but the next day, he rang up and said, how did the Bainham meeting go? You know, and I'm thinking, well, we didn't. I mean, it's just a friend. Cheese pizza. Yeah. Yeah. But as you, you, know, you acquire this kind of group of people around you who are... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, how about some of the others on the casting process? When you're when you're writing, Tamara, when you're writing, do you have actors in mind? Do you have a, a sort of vague notion of who might be good in it? I you know, I don't. <laughs> okay, next. Okay. No. Uh, no. I mean, I, I don't. I actually try probably on a certain level to not think of anyone because I want to draw human beings mm. on the page that are, you know, and then that'll dictate who the actor is. But I probably try to divorce myself. But and but then you know your your ears are open in in a way, and on some subconscious level, you're sort of looking around. Mm -hmm. But it's not like I have a picture of Paul Giamatti on my wall, and I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Is that is that just the way your creativity works, or is that because you don't want to get set on someone who maybe well, can't do it or won't that. do it? I mean, there's that mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, I've definitely gotten crushes on people, and by right. the time my movie was script was ready and somebody finally decided to finance it, that person becomes Jennifer Lawrence and I'm never gonna, she's never gonna be my yeah. right. So, I mean, not to, maybe she was. <laughs> awesome. But, but I, I remember know. reading, Armando, you, you wrote Veep for Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Well, no, it, we, uh, no, the pilot we wrote, we just wrote Selena Meyer. Oh, but uh, you didn't have her in script. mind? No. Oh, okay. But of course, instantly you're saying, okay, we need a really terrific uh, comedic actress, you know, someone. Uh, of 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 that kind of stature in terms mm -hmm. of the vice president and 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 HBO said you must meet up with Julia. Uh, she just finished doing this sort of the Seinfeld reunion mm -hmm. of Curb Enthusiasm, and we met up. We were meant to speak for like meet for thirty minutes over a cup of tea or coffee or something, and we talked for three and a half hours and made each other laugh. And by the end of it, we were already writing episode two and episode three. And episode. So instantly. How many profanities were involved in that? Oh, very, very few. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, oh, but, <laughs> but she did express at great length her desire to swear on television. <laughs> An awful lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but what we normally do, is, and that's actually typical in that when we're writing projects, even like The Death of Stalin, I like to cast early. So we write it with no one in particular in mind. But once we've written the first draft, I like to get them all signed up or talking and so the process of rewriting is rewriting for them mm. knowing they're going to do it okay let's now write how what would be funny if Steve Buscemi to do here and, and that sort of thing so right. I kind of like I kind of like halfway through the process knowing who it's going to be mm. 
Lynn, do you enjoy the casting process? I love it. I, I started doing it. I did it myself on my short films. Like, you know, I did a lot of street casting, casting people that had never been in movies before. And it was super fun, you know. The first time I worked with a real actor, I was actually terrified, you know. I, I, I didn't understand when a bee goes and all that shit, you know. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean? That's ridiculous, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I think the actors I've worked with since then, I, like, you know, I, Ezra Miller and Kevin was only 15 when I met him and he really had some charisma and you know he's, he's in a band and he's, got, he's a really bright kid and you know and, and, and I just you know tells us a bit outside the system you know and Samantha Morton's not really mm. she's they're all kind of mavericks in a way you know and, and so this was the only movie that I made that I made where I was like I want Joaquin Phoenix in this movie, and I'm going to telepathically will him into this movie because I need. I, I'm looking for something that he has, and I, and I just sense just the way choices were that you know, and it was a genre movie as well, so I could you know, but he isn't. He, he's. I don't know how to explain Joaquin, but you know, he just isn't in that world, you know, because I, I feel the same as Deborah, that we're, that's like a social factory. And like, I've had, sometimes it really surprised me when, when I've met, had actors turning up the day before you're going to shoot or something. Like, you know, you're like, mm. hang on a minute, this is a, I've been working in this process. for some years, it's process, and, mm. you know, or, or late in the day and wanting changes made or something. That That's like, what, you know what I mean? So I have, it, it's just a really, I think you've just got to work with real... Uh, Derek Jarman came to film school. He was a great, film, you know, interesting filmmaker um, who died. I don't know if you know his work. And uh, he said, I just work with my pals. You know, I just work with my friends. You know, I always found that really inspiring. And we were all at film school and no one even filmed this, you know, him talking. But he was, it was brilliant, you know. Um, you work in these things so long, you've just got to feel there's a real connection and a bond. Mm. And it was just really sad. So when, when I got to the last day of shoot, even though I was completely knackered, completely, you know, beat, I was so sad it was finishing. I didn't want it to finish, you know? Um, so that, that's a good feeling. So the casting process is so intrinsic to the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. Mark, you know, when you're producing films, often you hear about producers and directors disagreeing on casting choices because of the commercial viability of the film and other things. How do you handle those kinds of disputes? From which side? From the producer side. <laughs> From the producer side. Because well, you have to be attuned to what an actor means in the marketplace and such. Yeah, you do. Uh, but I'm also sort of from the same school, which is we follow our heart as much as we can. And so you'll see people in who are incredibly talented, often known, but not necessarily famous. So mm -hmm. Kelly McDonald is mm -hmm. in the film that I directed. Everyone who sort of knows her goes, oh, I love Kelly McDonald, and then they go, Kelly McDonald, and you go, yeah, No Country for Old Men, and The Girl in the Cafe, and they start connecting the dots, and they go, uh, Boardwalk Empire. So uh, as much as we can, we just try to cast the right person for the role. Uh, you have to keep one eye on the commercial aspects, uh, of course, but we try to, we try to follow our heart. Yeah, do, any, do you feel pressure? Well, I, I, I always find this very strange disconnect between actors who I think are just brilliant and assume that anyone would make a movie with them. And a really good example would be when I was trying to make The Savages, I had Laura Linney, and I, I met with Phil Hoffman, and I was like, this is it. This is it. And then I brought that couple to the studio, and they said, well, if you're going to have Phil Hoffman. 
it's, you're going to make the movie for this amount of money. And it was just so, I, right. it was such a, I, You whatever, assumed that was the green light. Well, at the grab, I mean, I didn't think you see it as a green light. I just thought he was a genius. So, and he had genius. just made Capote and it hadn't come out yet. But I mean, I knew he was a genius before Capote. <laughs> but I'm just saying, mm -hmm. I mean, we connected as people. Yeah, he yeah. loved it mm -hmm. and I loved him. And I thought this would be great. And then on the, I had heard, around the grapevine that, oh, P.S., you know, a, a movie in Toronto called Capote just happened, and I was like, well, this will be great because they'll be really into this, mm -hmm. you know, cast, and they'll finance the movie at a level where we could actually make it, and it was not the case. It was actually, well, if you're going to go, and it's just like a, a value system that is so antithetical to <laughs> my own or uh, that it's very hard to even understand it. It's like some strange math that's going. I always feel like there's an abacus somewhere and yes. someone's sitting there. And going, wow. Well, they did say that. You did get to say, well, we'll just run the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. what is that? <laughs> what is that machine that's that you have? <laughs> it's, it's up right. there. It's yeah. the machine that you were talking about. I, could, I actually couldn't believe it when I first went to LA and people were going, well, I would suggest an actors and things where, you know, yeah. certain projects and but he's not value enough for that person. I was like, right. what does that on a mean? On artists, yeah. right? You like, know, how much are they worth he, in Bulgaria? I know. <laughs> and then, then maybe a movie, could, you know, you know, for instance, a, you know, I don't, I don't wait, it was a well-known actor, actor that just won, a, won an Oscar recently. I wouldn't name any names, but like, I suggested him for a part many times. So it was like, he's not valued. He's not valued. Yeah. Of course, you know, like, when's that ever going to? And of course, uh, you know, it was an indie movie that he won his Oscar for, you know, independent, you know. Also, but even Wakimu was like, you know, he doesn't do press. And I'm like, I don't give a shit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, so, it, but, you know, and I kept saying, they kept saying, who do you want to be in this film? They kept saying, Joaquin Phoenix. And then they asked me that so many times. And I was like, well, I've told you from the beginning, you know, like, so, so, you know, it's an odd system because you, you know that as a producer that, you know, there's certain I mean, budget, it relates yeah. to the budget and that can be tough, you know, but when you've got a great actor, you've got a great actor. And I think you've got to go in your instincts and make that the, the budget work. You must forget some actors are really famous because they're great, you know, yeah, and I don't yeah, mind, exactly. I don't mind how famous they are as long as they're right for the part. And it's right. great exactly. if they're famous. <laughs> yeah. People come, you know, yeah. and, and, that's and, the and they're doing it for the right reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Right. Uh, I have a question for the female filmmakers. You hear a lot about how, you know, uh, how awful the numbers are for female filmmakers in the industry and how much studio executives and indie executives want to change those numbers. And that's been especially true over the past year. Do you, do you feel that's true? Do you feel that there has been a change over the past year in the true desire of studios and independent film companies to hire female directors? <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> Nobody gives up power easily. No one wants to. Who, what, what historical precedent is there for people just giving up power? No one, there's no, there's none in human history. So, so that would be a no. It's a slow process. <laughs> it's a slow process. Yeah. And I think, um, I think there are, you know, I think what gets neglected in the conversation is the decades that have been forming where um, men who like to work with women and who want women to succeed have been facilitating that consistently. Yeah. You know, yeah. In, on, on the set, in the, in the context of collaboration, mm. in the producer-director relationship, in the DP and directing relationship, there's many different ways in which all that um, desire to see the field open up is enacted on a more daily basis. Mm -hmm. But it's very hard to have it pushed and say, this is it, yeah. because it becomes a threat versus uh, a receptivity. Mm -hmm. So I think threats are, are very, very 
hard to respond to. You know, and then it becomes obligatory, and then there's backlash. Mm -hmm. You know, then it becomes a quota or, or a PC thing or something, and then there's wicked backlash. Also, mm -hmm. it's so, very you know. insulting when you're asked to do something just because you're a woman. Like, because so, it's kind of fashionable, or it's like, we want a woman director because that's the thing you do, you know, and then you're like, you, you think of yourself as a director and hopefully a good director to, you know, make, you know or good, good at your job, and then you, and I find myself sometimes when, I felt I've been, you know, that people have been interested in me just because I'm a woman. Right. You know, like, I mean, the great experiment would be if we just used our first initials and no one right. knew whether. Oh yeah, was, I, yeah, I, yeah, I thought just, about doing that. And, and yeah. it would be so, it would be so liberating and so interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's just to really see nice. how that, you know, it would be the simplest thing. Right. We don't have to wage any battles to do that. It would just be like a, a, an experiment. I that thought we'd change would your name to George. For one year. <laughs> you want to change your name to George? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> George Ramsey. Yeah. George Ramsey. I'd like that D. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I could be Amanda, you know. <laughs> your, That's brilliant. Your agent hasn't called and said, would you like to direct a Star Wars film or Justice I, League 2? It wouldn't. Well, I have, I mean, with regards to what they were just saying, mm -hmm. I think that one thing that I've noticed, even though I really take, I have, I mean, I feel like I'm a gopher who comes out of a hole and it's 10 years later and I'm like, wow, they're streaming now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, you know, so, but because of that, bizarre, I've been cryogenically sealed for 10 years before I make the next movie, and I do come out. Um, I, I, one thing that I, is interesting, well, first of all, this whole notion of the change, the change is menopause. That's what we're talking about. Uh, the female change. Right. It's great. This is Hollywood's going through a menopause. We are having serious wow. hot yeah. flashes. <laughs> is that what's going on? No. Um, uh, you know, I was thinking the other day that every time I've ever been at a film festival, there's always a women in film panel. Mm. It's always very sort of. I, I used to avoid them like the play. Ghettoizing? Yeah, yeah, it's like a Special Olympics <laughs> yes. for filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also, it's also programmed <laughs> on the weird sideline, like the main thing is happening here, <laughs> and then in the program there's some weird fine print with a yellow dot, and then you go down, and then it's the women in film panel, and then, you know, you go down the street, and is that where it is, and then you're there, and it's sparsely attended, and it feels really sad. Um, so one thing that it seems maybe, like if that woman in film panel maybe today would be less sparsely attended. <laughs> so maybe that's a good thing. Okay. Oh, I know a lot of your fans are wondering, why do you wait so long between films? They take a long time to write. All three of us have gotten asked that, right? Yeah. yeah. It, takes a, it took, probably took me five years to make the movie. I mean, between writing it, yeah. wait, you know, getting lost in a kind of uh, um, development thing mm. and it not getting financed <laughs> and then having to go somewhere. I mean, you know, it's not a straight line. Mm. I mean, I was ready to make it a couple of years ago, mm. and but nobody else was. So it, and then, you know, so I, I didn't take me 10 years to make this movie, but probably took me close to five. Mm. And you know, what else? What, I'm a mother, I'm a, I wrote another film that's here with my husband, but there's multiple writers on it. Um, I teach a class at NYU sometimes that I'm doing next semester. Um, but I'm always thinking like a filmmaker. And I, I'd like not to wait 10 years because soon that's going to get really hard because I'm going to be really old. <laughs> and Sundance and elderly uh, yeah. filmmakers seem bad. The yeah. show and the walker. You can go to the, uh, the old women in film. <laughs> I know. It, it went, uh, that's downstairs. That's, that's, that's downstairs. downstairs. <laughs> 
Just come in, yeah, yeah. That's the Should we go out nursing? Yeah. <laughs> There's like hot soup yeah. as you come hot in. And it's <laughs> a raw tart and rug. And... But I don't like that. I don't really like that I am so slow. And I don't. I mean, it's. I don't know what, what's happening. I mean, like we're asked the same. Yeah. We're asked the same question. Both of us. They, they lead. They introduce us that way. I know. I know. Like, this woman hasn't made a film. Up <laughs> <laughs> back. <laughs> So that is the intro, and that, that, that's hard. It's almost as like a off. As much as I take responsibility for my own um, dysfunction as a human being and my issues with writing, and I overwrite, and uh, I always write 200-page things, and I don't do it in any kind of efficient manner, and I, 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 um, I have a very uneconomical approach to writing. It's very intuitive and sloppy and messy. And, uh, but... You know, but then I, and everybody asks me that question, I get really defensive. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I have a kid. I mean, and I do, you know, and then, um, and I did write something else here, and I did teach a class, and I, and you know, and then somebody gets sick, and then, um, uh, but, so I do feel weirdly defensive, and then I, then it dawned on me that you hadn't made a movie for eight years. And then it dawned on me that Patty Jenkins hadn't made a movie for 10 years, and then I was, I, I was like, well, I, you know, yeah, the, Personal is political, I guess. That's what they were talking about. That you think it's just you, yeah. and then you look. I mean, that's what Gloria. That's what those feminists were talking about. You think it's only happening to you. I know it is one of those things you can get quite defensive about. Because like, like I was asked that it's been six years or something. What the like, hell whatever it is. Doing? Well, I had a baby. You know, um, I wrote a script for a film that didn't work out. I prepped that film. Um, then wrote another script. So for me, that's kind of what to do. And that's the same. Yeah. yeah, and then uh, you know, and then I, I did do a film in between, but it's, it's documentary. Yeah, but not commercial. You know, so it's oh, yeah. shot oh, yeah. alone. So you know, yeah. yeah. But you know, it, it, it did occupy my filmmaking made chops a short film. for a long yeah. time. Yeah. But that's been my response is to simultaneously always be working on a kind of a long form documentary, a longitudinal documentary, because that then I actually can do my practice right. I can yeah. take my camera, you know, if it's local. The last one was inconvenient. It was not. It was in Missouri. But you know, if it's local to the East Coast, I can go and I can and I can have my tiny posse and we can actually start yeah. to work on something and then show up when when there are cool shoots to do and keep going on it. In between, trying to search for a material that would cost more yeah. to make. Yeah. So, you know, Agnes Varda put that model out into the world, and that was something that really mm. impressed me and, and touched me. Yeah. And there are male and female filmmakers around the world where you, where who have tried to alternate their work where something requires a green light that cannot be lit by just yourself and something is self-initiating and that's a way to at least be able to touch your keep, camera keep working. get out there yeah. and keep working yeah, yeah. No, yes. Got this. Yes. and keep and keep meeting people and keep asking questions and learning trying to learn something about you know how we all search for meaning and you know yeah. just that you are doing something that is the recording of frames of moving image, you know? Right. Now, it's really amazing just to keep your hands out. Even prepping a film I didn't make, you know, I felt I made that movie in my mm. head. Like, or the preps, like, it's like cooking, it's like you're oh, a chef. Yeah. Once you've done the prep, it's like so much work, you know? Well, it's, it's the thing but also, I did a short for the Olympics, and that was so free. It was you like, can you can do what you like. Yeah. You can do what you like. The, the brief was called Inspiration, which is the most uninspiring brief ever. Yeah. But <laughs> I could just do what I liked, and it was to have that freedom to be like, almost to go do a little art, something I'd never tried before, an art film, or have use 
a crane because it was a decent budget like, and, and things like that. It was yeah. cool. So I think you're so right about you keep your hands in that camera. And it's also about keeping, cool you know, will, willing the film to happen. And and it's it's interesting different between doing a TV where it's it's very specific. You know, you, you you won't make it until the channel or the network says we're going to make it. You know how much money you've got. You know when they want it. You know how long it's got to be. And and you know when it's going out. Whereas everything is unknown in film. And it just took me a little while to work out that what you have to do. I remember somebody telling me this, that you have to learn to lie. Because <laughs> you lie to the actor saying we've got the funding, yeah. and you lie to the financial saying we've got the actor. Right. And you have to keep lying until it becomes true. Totally. And, and, <laughs> and that's just a technique. And you have to almost like will it to happen. No, I, I was in totally the same the situation I had in Kevin. Like, I got a phone call from someone that said, I've read your script. And I'm like, how did you read my script? They were financiers, but they were like, we'll finance it for some ridiculous sum of money. And I said, even with non-professionals. And I'm like, this sounds really bullshitty but my dad was dying at the time I was a bit distracted I, I was right into the casting process and then the whole thing it was a, the financial crash crash and it was like by the way I was in New York casting where I met Ezra Miller and it was like your film's not happening anymore and I'm like what you know so then you take all that you're going I'm making this happen so if it takes cutting this movie and editing on paper I'm going to do that because I spent already like three years writing this so mm. you know just some weird things happen along the way and you've just got to will them into existence in a way so yeah. I totally agree with that yeah mm. do you see yourself going uh, back to television or continuing with films um, oh well both actually I mean I'm, I'm I'm shooting another movie this summer uh, and I'm, I'm doing another pilot for HBO beginning of next year and I'd love to uh, I mean, when I made In The Loop, I loved making it. And I, I kind of, I made Veep thinking, well, this will be over in six months because, you know, how many pilots are made in America that never see the light of day? And then I got a series and I thought, well, it'll be cancelled. And, and after, by season four, I thought, but I want to make another film. Um, and you walked away from the show. Yes, which I now have discovered is not done in L.A. In that I think once you have a TV series on, you're meant to just make it to die death, there, really. Die and when I said... I don't want to make any more. The executive made a noise. He just went, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "But you know, you can carry on making." And fine, fine, fine. Because um, I knew I wanted to make the death of Stalin. But and, and and I love, I love both. You know, I love the fact that in television you can reset the pieces every episode and do another one, and it's an open-ended thing. But I love the fact that in a feature, it's got a beginning, middle, and end, and you can play with it. You could kill someone off. You can bring someone in. You could turn everything upside down halfway, uh, and you take the audience with you. You know, and I, I just, and it's all, it's a whole world in 90 minutes or as is most frequently two hours and 40 minutes, but 90 minutes, it's, you know, beginning, middle and end. And, and I love that. I love that. So can I just ask you something? Yeah. So you didn't say goodbye to Veeb until you had this new lover. Uh, it, no, it was a bit <laughs> of, no, song. it was a bit of both. I knew by season four that was going to be my last one because it was also to do with being away from home right. and, and all that. So I knew season four was it. And, and the, the Stalin thing arrived during season three. Ah. Uh, so I knew I had something to go to. Right. Yeah. Uh, I have a, a question for Mark. You, uh, Tamara mentioned the streaming world and I think a lot of people in the audience are curious about how to get that first feature made, how to find funding, how to find a mm -hmm. someone to support the work. Do you find it now as a producer with all the streaming options and all the emerging platforms, is it easier or harder to get money for for difficult projects? 
for difficult projects. I'm not sure that that's any more different than it was. Mm -hmm. uh, for we also do television. There's an incredible number of outlets, as you all know. We're doing uh, three shows, maybe four, in our basically our first full year as a, a television producer. And two are going to be done by Facebook and one by a more traditional outlet by stars. So the outlets are, are so, there are just so many and so many options. So I think it's easier in that sense. How about film? Uh, is it more difficult? We certainly are doing things for a, you know, for a smaller budget, just because the old world of DVD that you know, we all sort of lived through, and thank you so much, uh, made things possible for so long. It's not the same anymore, and streaming just isn't the same sort of uh, revenue stream, just like Spotify isn't for music. So. Uh, we just do things cheaper, but we do the same kind of films, and uh, we're just more more cautious about the amount that we do them for. How, how do you see Netflix and Amazon? We love, saviors, we love saviors, them. or you, dangers? Thank you. I, no, we're we're happy for any outlet for good storytelling, uh, and in most cases now they'll also do a theatrical release. <coughs> But very limited for Netflix. Is that something that bothers you as filmmakers? You know, as a filmmaker, I'll tell you after Tuesday when my uh, <laughs> uh, when my feature screens and how I feel about it. So we'll wait and see who comes to the table. But uh, with each filmmaker, when we're on the other side of the table as producers, we're always talking to the director saying, what is it that you want? And trying to honor that. And so that's part of our arrangement with every director we work with. And so what is it that you want? Is, it, is the theatrical release still really important to all of you? Yeah. Okay, yeah, definitely. It is. I, I, I find the big difference with, with television, um, you don't meet your audience because they're all at home. And the thing mm -hmm. I love about mm -hmm. theatrical releases, you know, events like these or Q and A's, or uh, and it, the film isn't coming out at the same time all around the world. It's coming out, so you do a bit of travelling and you meet yeah. the. And I, 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 for me, that's important to actually engage with your audience, which you don't do so much with television. And also, you, you know, it's such an experience watching a film, being in the cinema. Yeah. I use sound a lot. I'm really interested in sound and music, and mm. try to use yeah. it and always experiment and. To me, that would be kind of lost a bit, and, and the visuals and how you tell a story visually. And there's nothing. I mean, there was a big furor at Cannes about Netflix. You know, yes. and there was like people were being nasty to films just because they were a Netflix film. I mean, that's ridiculous. But I mean, I, Amazon are involved with mine, but it is important for me to have an, a, a theatrical release because of the type of work, even yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, my, my movie's a Netflix film. It didn't start at Netflix. It started in an organization where it would have a purely theatrical, I mean, it would have a theatrical release. It would eventually be streamed. Like, um, and uh, in my case, I was uh, stalled in such a very unpleasant way and had all of my actors lined up and we were ready to shoot. And then when the, the studio that my movie was with finally produced the budget that they would allow us to make our movie at, it was at such a low number mm. that it would we would never be able to express the screenplay as written. It would, um, And I said that I couldn't do that, and one of my producers is here right now. Um, we were going to have to shoot it in Montreal or something. The movie takes place in Manhattan. So uh, a lot in the East Village, I, yeah. So, uh, you know, we, Netflix um, saved our asses and came in with such enormous enthusiasm and 
enormous creative control. And yeah, I'm a filmmaker. I wrote it to be a film. It is a film. And um, I, you know, it's, I, they will give it a theatrical release. I don't know, you know, it's not coming out until next fall. Uh, it's a complicated equation. I don't, I can't, I mean, I've never had such a creatively um, supportive experience. I mean, ever. I mean, I've only made three films, but that's, <laughs> I, but you know, I've made studio movies. I mean, in you know, traditional studios, not an Amazon or a Netflix. And you know, it's really that was very different for me. They really aren't kidding when that stuff. I mean, there was the entrenchedness of the studio system, the studio development system, the whole. It's like not. That's not. They don't have that. Yeah. It's. It was so. This the fastness, the ability to cast a no-name actress when a name actress fell through. You know, we cast somebody no one's ever heard of. Three weeks right before, she's brilliant. That no one, no studio would ever let me do that. So um, it's a complicated equation. And the fact is that as much as we want to watch our movies on in the movie theater, I am, you know, I am not interested in the death of cinema by any means. I love movie theaters, and I'm so happy that my film is screening, you know, here and whatever other festivals we go to. But the fact is, your movie ends up living on those small screens. It does. Yeah. So there's only so much. The reality. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is. So it's. I, it's so complicated. Well, I you think about David Lynch or something, whose movies are really kind of the super cinematic experience, so this weird, like, dream, fever dream or whatever, um, and how he's, you know, I mean, you have to acknowledge the world as well, you know, like, because, you know, I was working with a French financier and thinking, oh, because the French, you know, they're really, into, you know, they're cinema buffs or, you know, the cinephiles, they love, you know, movie. And it's quite depressing when, everyone was left alone and stuff like that, but when you hear people saying, producers or financiers saying, oh, independent film is dead, there is no audience, and you're like, oh my God, that's just like, that's so depressing, you know? Mm. So Amazon are actually, they're pretty supportive, like, you know, it's like, it's, and they're, they're pre the people there are all producers, like Ted Hope's been around, like, for, I've known him for years, and like, they're, they're, they're filmmakers, producers, so they know what they're, they're doing and stuff, but yeah, have to acknowledge as a new world, I think, as a filmmaker, filmmaker too, that it, that it will be that small screen. Because I think what I watch is documentaries on a small screen. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that it's changing a lot. And, you know, and the good thing is that the audience now uh, wants good stuff. They don't want garbage. Exactly. And, and so actually it's profitable for Netflix and Amazon and HBO yeah. and what to make really good stuff. So it's, they're, not, they're not trying to get the lowest common denominator exactly. and how can we blend this up. And, and that can be a good you know. thing for a film too because the standard's so high in TV yeah. that you've got to be really elevated. So you can't just make like, you know, here's a nice story, you know, the, the emotional story. I, I think film needs, you just need to stand out a bit more because you have these great TV series that are mm. totally compelling and stuff like that. Right. So I think in a, I'm trying to look at it as a positive, in a positive way, you know, I mean, it pushes the films to be really kind of something special, you know. Okay, so we're going to open it up to the audience for a couple questions. Um, yes, right here. Um, first of all, thank you all. <laughs> um, thank you all so much for being here. Uh, I'm a big fan of all of your work, so it's great to hear you all weigh in on these on these big topics. Um, I'm curious, um, you know, in the last ten years or so, with the rise of technology and social media um, platforms, where everyone can now be a critic, and sites like Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic now have a lot of sway on what people think and how people perceive product. Um, I'm curious uh, how those sites um, have impacted you all. If you feel that um, that rise of sort of fan-held criticism is viable, if that's interesting, engaging as a filmmaker, or if that uh, creates problems for you down the line. 
Very interesting question. (laughs) (laughs) Who wants to go first? Well, I'm just aware that there are some people who make TV shows who actually respond to the criticism or whatever by rewriting later episodes. I've heard of that, yeah. Which to me sounds like madness. I mean, that way madness lies. So, I I mean, my attitude always is I want to make the film or the show or whatever Mm -hmm. that that I'm happy with and that I think other people will be happy with. But once it's made, it's not mine anymore. You know, everyone is entitled to... But do you look? Do you read? Um, I don't, I mean, I'm aware of Rotten Tomatoes and, yeah. and all that, but I don't read the, um, you know, the commentaries, because right. I think you just go crazy. You go crazy. Yeah. I think when it's born into the world, you kind of have to let it go. Um, yeah. But what's weird is when, you know, thinking about the first film you did, you did, it was like, you know, you had a review and it was like, yesterday's chip shop rapper, let's, you know, that was away now, it's permanently there, you know. Um, mm. So I don't read them either, I just think you go crazy, you know, it's like, um, but you're aware if it's doing what it's doing and, and stuff like that, but. Um, so you never you know, peak? Well, you I, never go. I, I, Mm-hmm. I, I try not to. I'm not on social media. Or anything. No, no, no. I'm like, not even talking about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not even talking. The reviews. But yeah. any when you have a movie that's yeah. coming out for the first time, I'll do, do you peak? Because now, if you peak, yeah. I mean, again, like coming out of the hole after mm. ten years, that stuff didn't exist. There were no people reading yeah, yeah. about the movie before it was the credits rolled at a film festival. And so I made it. Yeah. I, I know. I, well, that, that I, the last film, I, even from one film to another, it, it's totally changed. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, uh, people are saying, you see that this in Twitter? And I'm not on Twitter, but um, right. but I do, you know, obviously the way that what reviews are when the film is coming yeah, yeah, out, yeah. you know? Yeah. Take, but, take, and then you read a bad one and it's quite good. You know, like, yeah, I, I quite right. enjoy that in a way because I think, all right, I'm not reading anymore. You know, but I think it matters yeah. how, how much thought went into it, right? Yeah. If something's done immediately and there's been no processing, I, I'm just wondering exactly. what that immediate thing is, unless it's qualified, visceral happy I don't know but but to have dialogue and learn I remember sometimes there were some people would send me sometimes a post or something or something that was uh, that had gone on to someone's website you know someone who is thinking about film or writing about film Hmm. whether they're a sanctioned journalist or just a real aficionado whatever and sometimes a beautiful paragraph would come through and someone would bother to paste that out and send and I was really positively provoked. Sometimes it was either beautifully written, it was thought through, it was someone who had um, gone ahead and, you know, used their cinephile research and brought out titles that made me want to go actually reference the film they were talking about. You know, it was it was lovely. It was it was it was um it was food for thought in the truest old cliche way. Bleeps and blitz and drool, drool and twit. <laughs> twit is possibly uh, uh, I don't know if it's a form of shit. I can't tell. <laughs> Twit, drool, and shit. You know, it, oh it's God. like these weird Four substances. Right. These substances that come at you and, and hard to parse what they mean and, and hard to grow from them. Right. But the worst is when they're Circle tweeting. jerk, I think, is what the word is. <laughs> but the worst is when they're tweeting while they're watching the movie. Oh, and right. that freaked me out. Yeah. Like, I was at Cannes, it was like someone was tweeting during the, you know, the, like, the DP's telling me because he's obsessed with Twitter. But then if that's happening tweet. live and yeah. they're, they're giving away their location, yeah. so you can report them. It's right. really... You can send someone into the cinema to... to... Really? Yeah. I, I would just add, it's, yeah. impo- it's impossible not to look at it. I mean, we're, we're in 2018. No. It's impossible not to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. But in the same way in years before, when we would do these test screenings, 
And you get so, it's so easy to be influenced by a test screening. And as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. you, have to, you have to keep your North Star in line and not be listening to everything that everyone's saying. When you're on the set, it's the same thing. You have to have a vision for that movie. I want to hear what my costume designer is saying. I want to hear what my production designer is saying. But I want to make sure that it's still in line with that North Star. And the same thing happens for me when I start reading all these reviews. It's so easy to have a knee-jerk reaction and say, okay, so next time I'm going to really not do that. Mm-hmm. And then you don't really, you know, you lose who your center is as a filmmaker. So Also, serious possibility of incredible censorship. Yes. Like, I don't even feel safe having this conversation. I may not be able to be on any more panels. I don't want to be retweeted. Someone's I, I probably live the women, the women in film panel, though. <laughs> no, no, but what I'm saying is, like, you know, I, I should have said that everything that, like, that disc that I made, I, I didn't mean to diss that, you know, that particular app. And it could have been, like, it could, it could have been off the record, you know, because what I'm trying to say is, like, we're going to finance your next. It film. makes you so careful about what you're going to say. Yeah. You can't maybe speak the truth because you don't want to actually have a small yeah. fraction. Of your sentence, excised, right. and then, yeah. and and then we also see right now we're living in a culture where it could be actually destroying, you know, mm-hmm. us because we have a political leader who is using this device, this this system of communicating, and it's getting us in a bad jumble, and and it's not funny anymore, and it doesn't matter how how hard the comedians work to make it funny, it's getting to be very exhausting. So I think it has a huge role in art making, mm-hmm. and actual freedom of thought. And I think we are quickly losing the ability to think our own thoughts. Mm-hmm. And we are becoming sheep in a way that maybe most of us feel maybe a little bit anxious about or wish, I don't know. I, I, I've always heard that when we herd up real, we are, we are social animals, so that's why we have social media. But when we herd up too big, I think sometimes we go into something that you know your character Stalin was really comfortable with, and a lot of other facts. Yeah, it's not you know? my character. Your <laughs> <laughs> alter ego. No, 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 absolutely. But there's this equation. I mean, there was a senator in the Senate this week comparing Trump to Stalin because Stalin used this phrase of anyone who disagreed with him, an enemy of the people. He sort mm-hmm. of criminalized right. opposite points of view, mm-hmm. and and then Trump in a tweet about NBC and CNN called them the real enemies of the people. Wow. And that was the comparison that was being made. And Khrushchev, when he succeeded Stalin, uh, spoiler, um, um, <laughs> banned, the u- banned the use of the phrase enemy of the people because it was too associated with Stalin. You know, right, does that answer your question? <laughs> one, one over here. Good question. Yeah. So, so if we actually understand that you want to keep the original artist's intent in making the movie, and I respect that, but what if we take one step further, right? So with the event of blockchain and different cryptocurrency coming in, what if you actually take the whole financing of the movie into the ICO process, initial coin offerings, and you actually crowdsource the idea, the plot, the, 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 you know, the castings, the whole storyline. What if you actually design that for crowdsource? Well, plot, take yeah. plot from That's the opposite. You, you can keep doing the same thing you're doing right now, which yeah. is great, yeah. right? But then if you have so crowdsource, yeah. the new way of making movies, actually the, lot, the plots will actually cater to the crowd. The cast yeah. will actually cater to the crowd. And it's actually financed by the crowd. I, I, I'd love to see that. Show, right? that. I'd love to see that movie. No. <laughs> 
But you've yeah. seen those movies because <laughs> yes. they come through a very specific Hollywood system. Yeah. That does that's exactly that. Testing. That's exactly yeah. You go to test screenings and yeah. people say, they say, do yeah. you like this character? <laughs> do you like this character? Yes, I give this character a four. Yeah. Well, the, the, ultimate, the ultimate of that, I think, was a movie called, I hope none of you were involved in okay. I don't think so, <laughs> called I Kangaroo Jack, which is, I understand, was a movie... Do we is that your movie? Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> your movie? No, no, no. no. But I, as I've heard the story, I, I hope this isn't apocryphal, but as I heard the story, it was a story about a guy who uh, lived with wild animals and a kangaroo was just one part of it. And it did a test screening and the kangaroo was the only thing that scored high. <laughs> and so what was the fellow's name? Steve James that, that, that had wild animals and then the stingray. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it is yeah, hard to remember. Yes, it was a yes. story like that. Yeah. And it scored so poorly that the studio went back and said, was there anything good about this movie? And the one thing that scored well was the kangaroo. <laughs> and so they rewrote the movie and it became Kangaroo Jack and it became a big success. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's the, that's yeah. the ultimate crowd And, and don't, don't forget uh, Microsoft's Twitter bot that they put up two years ago that, that was, a, uh, was an artificial intelligence wasn't a person and formed its own <laughs> character out of those who responded to it on Twitter and within an hour became violently racist, <laughs> Nazi <laughs> and misogynist and they had to take it down. But, but, but the difference is they don't finance it. Yeah. If the crowd finance yeah. they want to make sure that the movie is profitable and the Oh, yeah, I'm quite sure you could get financing for a, a racist, racist nap. <laughs> All right, one more question before we go. Uh, how about right here inside? Hi, my name is Jewel Greenberg. I'm an actress and a filmmaker. And um, there's a lot of thrust towards social change right now with Black Lives Matter and a lot of movements like that. As independent filmmakers, I wanted to hear if there's anything that you would like to change within our industry, since we do, as independent storytellers, have a lot of creative power with our projects. Usually. <laughs> well, I was at the women's rally the other day, and it was just so astonishing and beautiful. And um, I don't know, was anybody here? You, were you guys there? I had to go to the director's brunch thing, but I would <laughs> rather go to have been there. Anyway, it was amazing. Also, it was snowing, so it kind of just mm. elevated the um, aesthetic. <laughs> well, aesthetically, it was fantastic. <laughs> Very flattering lights. So. <laughs> um, but it, um, you know, it was intrepid. Everybody was cold, but they still stood out there. And um, you know, in terms of you know feminism, a moment. I mean, and I hope it's not a fucking moment. I mean, sort of what I was saying about maybe that panel wouldn't be over there, it would be over here. I mean, yeah. that focus. Mm -hmm. I mean, but not just like, yay, I'm a woman, but just, uh, I don't know, something about the cultural conversation around the, the stuff. I mean, some of it feels, whoa, and some of it feels, you know, but it's, at least it's a conversation about something that seems like it was just everybody thought was okay, that we worked that out in the second wave feminist movement. Like, they took care of that, and we're all fine. Meanwhile, that's not the case. So, um, I don't know, I think that's pretty exciting. And, and One thing is I've noticed is that um, film and television drama is very literal in a way that theater isn't. You know, look at something like Hamilton, where there isn't an, any issue with, um, the fact that certain figures who historically were white are not being played by white actors. Whereas in, in film and television, we still are very 
um, very, very literal in how we, uh, not just cast, but how we um, shoot it, and it, it has to feel completely real. Mm. And um, I'm kind of interested in the next film I do of, of not conforming to that and casting colorblind and 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 making set disappear and move and mm, more. Mm, because it'd just be interesting to see whether that can um, work a, a, as a as a film. I mean, in in, in the Stalin movie, we. For some reason, the press picked up on the fact that they all spoke in, in their own accents rather than Russian. And I just thought, well, well why, you know, why be so literal that, mm. that we'd have to do something that in the end would be an impediment to understanding the film? Because everybody would be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you just, you know, you, you know. And, and in Russia, when I was being interviewed by the Russian press, they all said, thank you for not using <laughs> We hate that. So, uh, anyway. DeMarc, you know, I would just add really briefly, yeah. so I, I really liked your comment before about quotas and how you can't push something at people. And so where we're trying to deal with it and uh, is to do it institutionally and both as a producer and as a director. So as a director, I just made a film about a 40-something-year-old woman coming of age. As a male making a movie about a 40-year-old woman, how do I get that perspective right and not screw it up? So for me, institutionally, if you will, I made sure that I uh, selected a female editor because I wanted her by my side as I was looking at every frame of the movie. And the same thing in the re much, much of the rest of the crew, but especially there, because that's where so much of it is made. In our production company, rather than have quotas and say, we have to have people of color in these movies, and we have to, what we have tried to do and continue to do is to hire people in our production company who have that, who are of color, who are female, who are, and so that we have the whole sort of wealth of the human experience so that they'll be thinking about those things who aren't necessarily straight white men. Uh, and so I think for us, it's, you know, it's one thing to say you got to do more of it. It's another thing to have people who sort of live it and because you know it's coming out of their own experience and so that's institutional if you will okay on that note uh, I want to thank our panel and thanks to everyone for coming today um, really appreciate it subscribe for more panels from the Sundance TV headquarters at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival